Hey everyone, apologies about some of the audio issues for this podcast on my end. We'll get it fixed for next time. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, um, we did it. We did it. We made it. Um, we made it through 2020. Rian and I are officially recording our first podcast of 2021. It re- it hits different. It honestly hits different getting through 2020 and being able to say we're on the other side of it. Um, I know we got a lot of stuff to get through before we're well clear of a global pandemic, but yeah, letting go 2020 feels uh, feels pretty good. So it's good to talk to Rian again. We we haven't done a pod in like 10 days, something like that. It's been it's been a pretty long time compared to what we normally do. So what's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing well. I took a nice, healthy, like 11, 10, 11 days break. Right? I know the uh, the La Liga proportion came out. I think after we had already recorded it. So that so scammed you guys. So technically, I guess technically, we're like <laughs> six days since the last spot. But you know. We love to keep the numbers up, but, um, <laughs> but no, uh, all good. I mean, as you'd expect, the most subdued um, New Year's ever, uh, or New Year's Eve ever, subdued, but also like very excited for it to just not see twenty twenty on any of uh, of any of our computers or phones or anything anymore. But um, all in all. One of my favorite New Year's Eves too, because I didn't have to move much, so that was <laughs> <laughs> that was also a good part of it. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny because I was remembering last New Year's in New York, and I remember doing a lot of moving around. I actually started part of my night was in it was on a rooftop near Times Square at a friend's apartment. Getting in and out of there was hell, so never doing that again. It was just once for the experience. Um, and then I had to go to two other places throughout the night and that was a lot. And this new year's back at home with my parents, they were out by 11. I was out by 1230. So, um, yeah, I didn't move at all. Actually, you had to move a little, (laughs) I didn't move at all. So (laughs) yeah, I had to, I had to just get on, on the L train here, but like every other year, like every other year, new year's, everyone, Hypes it up. It's always going to be super fun and whatever. And then, like everyone's scattered. No, almost none of your friends are in the no, same yeah, place. No one keeps track. So, Everyone's um, all over the place. So it's it's honestly more of a disappointment in most years. But this time, you knew exactly what you were getting. You knew that you were going to be with like, if you're responsible, max like eight people or something, and. Almost all of those people were people that you've probably been hanging out with for the last let's say six months just to keep it just to like be generous the last six months so um so yeah no expectations were dropped on new year's eve this time so (laughs) that's a win in my book honestly the saddest part of new year's was watch so i watched the Times square live stream for the last couple minutes before midnight and watching all the like planet fitness little like (laughs) spurs of people all social distance out in Times Square was super eerie, but then you had the inflatable dummies like flying around with their arms failing and whatever. That was the weirdest part. Completely unnecessary end to 2020 Planet Fitness, but I guess I have nothing against you guys. It was just weird that that was even a thing, but whatever. (laughs) Again, I left 2020 four days ago. We're recording this on the 4th. So, anyway, 
I think everything's good, right? I think we're all happy and healthy for now. Well, I, I mean, what... it depends on perspective, obviously. Dep- but, <laughs> of but, course. Uh, of course. Yeah. Well, some uh, of us are doing better than others. <laughs> some of us, some of our last couple of weeks, uh, if you're a soccer fan, have been slightly better than others. Ours have actually but, been uh... terrible now that I think about it. I don't know why I said we we're happy and healthy. We're just we're just healthy, thankfully. But yeah, why I mean that's a good segue, Rian. Let's let's talk about let's talk about Chelsea first. Why don't we why don't we jump right into things for the Premier League part of the pod and um I mean we have to talk about the Chelsea City game. I think that's pretty pretty good encapsulation of uh the last couple of results ranging from the City game to Wolves to, you know, what are two other results as well? Aston Villa. Uh, losing losing yeah. to Arsenal for the... No, no, no. no. That's Arsenal. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. <laughs> How dare you? Oh, man. It's, Where, it's where's been your head a... right now? Honestly, where's your head? Um, so, I think that right now, or the last few weeks, I think Chelsea are learning the big important lesson of transfer policy and bringing in new players and whatnot is the importance of targeting the team building, right? It's very easy. Well, well, do you think that they didn't do that? Because I remember we were having this conversation like a while back, and I feel like we both kind of agreed that they did a good job, at least on Mm -hmm. paper. Right, right. And I think... Broader point. Sorry, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. I do. I do think the players they brought in, um, fill. I I almost don't want to say fill holes that were missing, but I would say um, definitely add it. Add something to the team. No doubt. It's it's there's. This is a team with world class. I think talent. Um, there's a difference between that and. Being a world-class player, I think we've talked about that before. It's you know consistency is what makes you a world-class player against t- a world-class talent, which there are many of those. But, um, but no, I, I think there's an importance in bringing in players to fit into the mold of a team that is set in terms of the way of the playing style and let's say the culture or, you know, the actual holes in the team, right? And I think that in in some parts, Chelsea have done very well with that. Ben Chilwell, a great signing, an exa- a, a hole that was most so obvious in terms also of... the oldest looking 24-year-old I've ever seen, <laughs> easily. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and like, Chilwell fits the hole. He plays on the other side of Reese James, who is another very good attacking fullback. And he kind of added to that partnership. They make an actual partnership in terms of fullback. That one makes sense perfectly. Havertz, again, we've talked about this already. I'm not saying the season's a throwaway of sorts, but adding in the COVID um, illness, adding in coming to a new team, new league, all of that stuff, he gets more time than I think any of the other signings that have come in. Let's just throw that out, right? Where it starts to break down of sorts in terms of a fit for the playing style and an automatic fit in terms of you get that guy, he slots right in. Like we've seen with a Diego Jota at Liverpool per se, right? Werner has come in and 
the team is not i feel like I've, I've said this a lot the team is not set up for him to succeed and i think a couple months ago i came on and said it's not set up for, for him to succeed because there are a lot of other great players on the team which is slightly different to the setup that he was at that he was playing under in leipzig where they were trying to specifically set up chances for him it's more like not not even our not just that um there are other players that also need to quote unquote you know be fed in the team it's that he's being forced to play in a style that simply doesn't suit him and this is all just to, to say that you know not not saying that Roman Abramovich is Florentino Perez, but <laughs> but you know during the the Galactico era, you know Perez said was just like assuming that the overall performance of the team would just be multiplied by the, all the excellent players that are brought in, right? And right now, like I said, there are at least a handful of world class talents on Chelsea's team. But at the moment, they look far from a world-class team. So, I completely agree with you, which doesn't happen as often as people might think it might. But I do completely agree with you that Chelsea are a world-class talent. Or world-class... Sorry, they are a team full of world-class talent, but they are not a world-class team. I think that's perfectly said. But then there has to be a reason for that, right? There has to be a reason why they got completely outplayed by Manchester City. I think, okay, a part of it is that Manchester City really found their groove, right? I mean, injuries, COVID aside, whatever, they were almost unplayable in the first half. You have to give them credit for that. But from the Chelsea perspective, this isn't, this isn't new, right? That first half wasn't necessarily different from, I would say, the previous four halves of football that they've played. So do you think that's down to person... Uh, let, let me phrase it like this. Do you think it's down to the rebuilding or squad rebuilding from last summer? Or is that down to purely tactician... Uh, just tactical protocols, if you will. Oh yeah, this this is where this is where the not intangibles, but where the things outside of the talent on the field have to be addressed. Right, the key character in the numbers game, they talk about how, like the key characteristics of a team is that the efficiency of the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And, and that's something that we would say in literally any other sport, not just soccer, right? But also in the numbers game, there's a point made that every team has players that link coalitions of the team together and players who destroy the coalitions of other teams, right? And I look at Chelsea and there's a lack of these coalitions right now where I thought a couple months ago before, just after, or sorry, just before uh, Kai Havertz was diagnosed with COVID, there was a good five to, I mean, five to six games. I mean, the Chelsea went on a 16 game unbeaten run. There was a good stretch where 
it seemed like those coalitions were obvious with Chelsea, but it's now it's now totally has no bearing on what's happening right now. So we have to look at the here and and, and now and what's happened in the last couple of weeks. And like I said, there's a lack of these coalitions at Chelsea, whether it's through organization or personnel. And I think I think my money right now is on the organization part of it. Uh, more than the personnel, but but, uh, but I think I think there's kind of a, a little, a bit of both. But I think more on the organization right now, and and that's where, you know, we're getting to the end of a season and a half of Frank Lampard's reign at Chelsea, and this is around the time where you would have expected to see the team make some sort of progression in terms of players kind of fitting into a core and the core seemed more evident last season because like, of the, like the youth. Basically. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And, and it, it felt like there was a bit more of a core. There was more of a core last season, but you know, that was mostly because they had to play who they had to play. You know, when you throw in the transfer ban, and everything that came with, and everything with comes with um, having to play something like five or six youth academy players throughout the season, right? Um, but it, it seems like that that is somewhat missing right now. And um, you look at Conte had one of the worst games I can remember him having for Chelsea. Um, against Manchester City, which happens to a lot of players, to be fair. To, but to, like... be, to be fair, also, I don't think that that game, or Conte's performance, was actually all down to him, right? He was left exposed pretty much every time Manchester City had the ball. Yeah. And there's no way that... You, you could throw almost any other player in there, and they're having equally as bad of a game. What I think... Honestly, the one thing that stood out to me the most is... <laughs> you might hate me for this, but I don't know why Jorginho was not on the field come like the 25th <laughs> minute. I'm not joking. Like Jorginho next to Conte would have at least yeah. provided some support, right, in transition, and would have allowed. Uh, well, no, go on. Sorry. No, I mean it would have allowed for either of them to get forward in the attack, right? Which I mean, right. any time that Christian Pulisic or I would argue maybe Timo Werner, kind of on either flank, got the ball they were completely isolated because there was no one in the middle as a, as a yeah. reference and having a Jorginho or Jorginho specifically in that game, I think would have been helpful, but what were you going to say? No, I, I was, I was going to say, I would have just said, uh, Jorginho in transitions. I, I think I've seen enough of what that looks like, but to your point, to your point uh, on the flip side of it in possession. Yes. I think Virginia would have been a, a lot more of, of I, he would have had a lot more use yesterday um, than I think in other games, but um, I don't know. Not, I, I don't want to spend too much more time on Chelsea because I do want to talk a little bit about Manchester City, but but there, there's there's question marks to be thrown at at the manager, and I, and I think this is a perfectly fair time for us to say. But look, two things can be true, right? Lampard has come out and said since that game, and has said in the past too, that Liverpool, um, Manchester City, you know, all these teams didn't 
these top teams right now didn't fare too well in their first season, right, with their managers. And, and for Liverpool, it was more or less the first season and a half un, under Klopp. Um, that is true. The time needs to be given, 100%. That can be true. And at the same time, <laughs> the misorganization in the press where there are a lot of times where the you press the, the forward and midfield line press high and for whatever reason the defenders are not also pressing high too which causes a huge problem once the press is broken right <laughs> dare i say there's a gap <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe it's just me um <laughs> you know things like like that things like not figuring out a way to get Timo Werner into the positions that he was so successful at in his last two years at Leipzig, especially with having such good full attacking fullbacks that can provide that with, so you don't need Timo Werner to be standing out wide and picking the ball up when he plays on the wing. And you don't need to force him to play up top center forward by himself when he was very successful with Yusuf Poulsen at Leipzig. Right, it's you know things like that that are very much within the control of the coaching staff. Um, that I'm not saying that even if those were necessarily fixed, that the team would be title contenders. That because I didn't think that before this season. But well, I think it no would reason. give them much more of a fighting chance. I mean, they're not, they're not. It's not they like should, they're twenty oh, points yeah. off the. You know, no, I mean? no, no, no. And <laughs> but the real the reality is they're sitting in ninth place after t- after Southampton's win today. Yeah, and even if those problems were fixed, they would probably be right around where they should be, which is third or fourth, and yeah. um, and that's where you have to uh, you have to look at the coaching. So true. Sh- shall enough. we um, just just to touch on the team that that actually <laughs> played like title contenders um, yesterday? <laughs> Let yeah, let's talk about Manchester City because I think they did something that we have not seen all season. And that's pretty much put their foot on the gas, pedal to the metal, no letting up whatsoever. Maybe, okay, maybe later in the second half. But they were relentless. Like, there was a period in the first half where I was like, oh, this could get bad. Yeah. And that's not, that's not a feeling that I've gotten with Manchester City at all this season. Like, it's very much been a... Uh, it's Manchester City have essentially been that team where you think that they can score three goals and they look like they can score three goals in any game and shut out the opposition, but then they score one goal or maybe zero and then struggle to get another after that. And then you think, it's just going to come back to bite them. That's been the theme with City this season. In this game, it's the, C- C- uh, it's the City from two seasons ago where they went on to get you know triple-digit points in the Premier League. So it's... Very much, uh, as Rian put in our notes, you know, version 2.0, basically, of Manchester City this season. And we can talk all day about United being title contenders, but there is no way in hell that Manchester United are title contenders, all while Manchester City are, are around. And also, while they still have games in hand over United. Let's not forget that. So, if I had to pick a team to go on a run, right, to, to be as consistent as I know they can be... I'm not picking United. I think United have been on a good... Well, maybe I'll save that for 
very eager to do <laughs> Jeez, he, he saw my notes for this for this episode, and and I think it kind of gaslit him. But I, uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not having the United talk. But yeah, thoughts on City? Um, no, I I think you're right in terms of my goodness. Uh, look, the first 15 minutes of that game, I thought was fairly even. Um, I thought Chelsea started well in in a lot of respects, but now that last half hour was was ominous should be ominous for everyone else in the league i think but um yeah everything was just the reason why i put in our notes it's version 2.0 of manchester city is because i said a few weeks ago it doesn't feel like the same team uh when you watch it right they don't seem to play in the same way and I really think that the loss of Spurs was a turning point for them. Now, since that game, seven games in the league, right? Five wins, two draws, 11 goals, uh, and two goals allowed. Second in points, second in in expected goals, and first in non-penalty expected goal difference. And on top of all that, eight clean sheets in the last 10 games in all competitions. And I really feel like they are playing in a different way. Sam Lee in The Athletic um, wrote a piece today and kind of just talked about how they've really tweaked their attack and kind of the security that they're, that, um, that they're giving to their attackers when they are full-flowing and in the final third. And he kind of showed about they always have one of the fullbacks, whether it's Cancelo or Mendy. I think the example he used was when Nathan Ake was playing left back. One of those fullbacks are always joining the attack, and the other one is sitting in with the midfield with with uh, Fernandinho and Rodri, or whether it's Fernandinho and Gundogan, or whoever is in there. And that's like a slight change from the last couple of years. And even you say a slight change from the beginning of the season too, where it felt like they were not creating enough chances, right? And since then, it's been a whole difference. They're getting more numbers in attack, while also they're not as easy to counter against anymore. So, look, I can't remember if it was after the Spurs or maybe it was after the Leicester game that we said this is going to be a difficult coaching job for Pep because the team is not, is not perfectly set up to play quite the way that they played two years ago or, or for many parts of last season. Um, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this doesn't mean that they, that a rebuild in some sense is still not needed because that's still needed for sure. But we, we wanted to see him have to coach, the team in a different way, right? Um, when he doesn't, when he didn't seemingly have the best eleven, um, and he's done it. And I mean, well, that's that's why we think he's the best coach of his generation. So, props props to to him, of course. But yeah, this Manchester City playing a slightly different way, but still 
dominating in terms of possession and although I think the the possession in, in the game against Chelsea was closer to 50-50, but still dominating periods and finishing their chances during those periods of possession is the real difference. Yeah, this this team looks like they should really be the only real the only the most legitimate challenge to Liverpool. I won't say the only, but the yes. most legitimate challenge go. to Liverpool. There you go. We don't even have to talk about United when we get to it. Perfect. No, that's done. Good. Done. <laughs> so you want to move on to Arsenal then? <laughs> I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, 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 I completely agree. Um, I, I'm not even going to add any additional original thoughts because basically everything you said is exactly what I'm thinking in the sense that A, Pep made adjustments. B, Pep made adjustments in a big game. Um, and C, it still shows that City have squad depth to challenge. Even though that they do need bigger tweaks probably in the summer, um, namely <clears throat> figuring out who's going to be their striker. It would probably be number one priority for me. I don't know. I'm not coaching. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, they still showed that they have it. They still showed that they can be a consistent team. Sorry, they still show that they can be a strong team. I don't know about consistent yet this season, but strong team to contend. So I'll leave it at that. Now do you want to move on to Arsenal? <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's about as good a time as any. Fair enough. All right, so Arsenal, the uh, other Premier League title contenders <laughs> that went from relegation to title contenders in about a week, um, <laughs> if you ask Arsenal fans, of course, um, <laughs> three straight wins. Three or one of which came against Chelsea, of course, like we mentioned. Two of which were against lesser opposition, arguably, but maybe not so much arguably. Um, what changed for Arsenal? I feel like it was one obvious choice that Arsenal fan TV slash Twitter um, have been calling for for a longer period of time. I don't think it's as simple as this, but he did one make one major change and that was basically play the kids right like that that happened so um yeah why did that succeed (laughs) more than play the kids and more than that it's like getting rid of the obvious deadwood right (laughs) yes yes that's the key point i think after a month maybe after a month and a half, any of us would have guessed that there's probably at least one player in the academy that could put up better performances than Willian, right? <laughs> I think, I think we could have, we could have put a guess to that. At least one. We would, we didn't even know any of the. You and I didn't know any of the academy players on our so, and we would have put money that as soon as any of them came in, they'd look better than Willian, right? Um, but no. Pr- Props Arteta for not just uh, like letting it, not just like letting himself get fired, pretty much, which which could have easily happened if he was just like, well, I need the results, and senior players are more reliable than younger players when you're trying to get results. When it's just not, it wasn't the case anymore, right? Um, no, they've begun to stabilize a bit here, and I mean. The game against Chelsea, they really just looked like I hate using I hate using this like 
sportsism, but it looked like they just wanted it more, really. And in a lot in a lot of parts of that game, especially the, I mean the first half, of course, they looked like they wanted it far more. Um I, yeah. I, but Arsenal I think are showing again as we kind of spoke about last year um when Leicester went and beat Southampton 9-0. Arsenal is another example of why it's not necessarily the right decision or right answer of firing a manager mid-season. That's not No, no, it's I don't I don't th- yeah, I we we've definitely said this before that it's not always the right answer to just fire a coach in the middle of the season to expect things to turn around. Of course, <laughs> the major opposition evidence to that is Hansi Flick, and maybe we're just full of shit, but... Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think, right, <laughs> as a general statement, that I'd that's say usually untrue. not. Yeah, yeah usually, usually not. not. Yeah. yeah, what Hansi Flick was basically ridiculously unheard of, right? No one really goes and ever does that. So, largely speaking, yeah, letting go of Arteta, a, a coach that I think it's kind of clear that he has, like, an identity and ideas, and maybe we have doubted him before, but he has clearly not had the players that he's wanted. And I don't know, again, if this is a mismanagement by, right? We can name names on Arsenal's board, but I'm not even going to go there. Um, We can have that discussion, but clearly Arteta has stepped up and started taking a little bit more of a personnel command over the squad, um, I think it probably started for all the wrong reasons with Mesut Ozil, but at the same time, you're maybe seeing the positives of that. Yeah, absolutely. And like to kind of further, I think, uh, explain that whole, why it's not good to, or not always, most of the time not good to actually change the manager mid-season is because a lot of the times it doesn't really make a major difference, right? Um, from the number game, from the numbers game, they looked at like the performance. The performance of a typical club declines to about fifty percent of its total in the week before the manager is sacked, and then by the fourth game, they found that they're at ninety-five percent of what they should be, right? And then, or sorry, I should say this. By the fourth game of the new manager coming in, they are at 95% of what they should be. And so they kind of looked at, okay, well, does the manager actually change it, right? And they looked at a separate control group that consisted of spells when a club's points per game decreased by 25, at least 25% over a four-game span. And then they didn't sack the coach, right? And found that, Without sacking the coach, the performance levels of the control team bounces back to just as well, if not better, than when they do sack the manager. So it's... Are, are you basically projecting to Chelsea to not let go, frankly, I pardon? Is that what this is? <laughs> if you had asked me that question when we were, yeah, when we were talking about the Chelsea City game, I would have said yes. That's that... Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you, you always... I think that it's just you have to give the rest of the season 
to managers for the most part. But also you have to be able to evaluate what the actual issues are at your club, right? That That's actually the most important thing. And I will say props to Arsenal's board for sticking by Arteta. Maybe they realize that they need to legitimately do something about this squad. Um, and that does not mean no, going out. No, let's, let's yeah, not get no, carried no. away. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, want, I don't want them to think that, I want them to think that, all right, this is like more or less the for, the way we should go forward, and then and then in the summer they go and sign Giroud for on a free. <laughs> let's let's not do the bargain buys anymore for important positions on the team. <laughs> but yeah, I digress in in that sense. I, I do think for the rest of the season, now it's time to as we've seen in the last few games. Get the youth players quality minutes. They're still in the Europa League. This is a great time to get those. I mean, he has been doing that anyway in the in the group stage games. But do not bring back Willian for the Europa League because you think you might have a chance at winning it. So it's time to give these guys minutes throughout the rest of the season. I still think there's no chance that they finish in the top four. There's still an outside chance they can finish in the top six, or even if they finish seventh and one of like let's say Man City or, um, or Tottenham or United, if any of those teams finish in the top four and they win the the League Cup, then seventh place will be a, a uh, European standing. So we get you into the Europa League. There's still an outside chance of that, but yeah, get your players, the youth players, quality minutes, and then let's go into next summer with an actual plan. Not whatever the hell. I still, this yeah, was, I still think but... you're asking for too much. But yes, that that is should that honestly should be That's Arsenal's what, only yeah. goal. Like for for the next six months, should be developing a plan, boarding plan with an actual sporting director between now and then. But yeah. I, I just I don't know. I don't have my a sporting director that high. that doesn't just rely on agent relationships. <laughs> That, you mean, you that mean would Jorge be a start. <laughs> no, that's yeah. I I concur. But anyway, Rian, why don't we take a quick break and then we can always come back and talk about United right after this. That's you know what? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said right before the break. We're going to talk United, but, but, Rian decided to switch it up on things, switch things up on me, like, during the break. So we're going to start with Leicester, because uh, I think I would get too riled up talking about United first. So, Rian, let's start with Leicester, and a team that I don't think underperformed is the right word, and I don't think overperformed is the right word, but somehow I also don't think adequately performed is also the right <laughs> phrase. So I'm not I'm not really sure. I'm going to be honest. I really don't know what to make of Leicester this season so far. Mm. I feel as though they've had their moments. I feel as though your Ndidis and your Telemans of the world have played extremely well thus far. Um, I feel as though Vardy is the same Vardy, but they're not as strong defensively. They clearly they're lacking something. I just, I honestly can't put my finger on it. I don't know. I mean, thoughts, thoughts on Lester. Yeah, it's, it's a grind right now 
right? Not not just for them, to yeah. be fair. Like it's a grind for everyone right now. And I and I think what uh makes me pretty um confident about Leicester, not necessarily confident that they'll finish in the top four, but um confident about their season going forward is that through all of that the like you said their their defending has been slightly worse this season than than last year um and they aren't quite scoring at the same levels as they were last season but once again no one is right now um and no one is this season overall but what encouraged me the most about them right now is they're still sitting just one point off first place and they've only got one loss in their last seven games. And I think the game before that was a loss to Fulham, where Fulham played great, and Leicester were maybe slightly unlucky to to lose that game. But like I said, what's encouraging is that they are sitting so close to the top, and yet only eight appearances this season so far from Wilfred and Didi. Only five appearances so far from Soyuncu. Only one appearance in a cup game from Ricardo Pereira. And there's still, I think, room for them to get better. Right? And, again, that doesn't mean, like, title contending better. But, I mean, we'll talk, I think, at the end of this um, episode that it's just so weird this year that anything that is considered normal in the past, we kind of have to throw out. So, um, yeah, I think, I think Lester are in a great spot are in a great spot in terms of what it looks like going forward in the next few months, because they'll be hopefully crossing fingers, fully healthy. I don't know. I've been banging on about this, the fact that they're getting guys back, but for the guys that are playing, like you said, Yuri Tielemans, Huge shout out to him, who's shown like positional flexibility he, he this really season. He went from being like a true top rated FIFA young boy talent and yeah. then actually becoming that talent yeah. <laughs> in reality. <laughs> that is, I think, one of the only cases that that's. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> that is like, I do remember like career mode, like FIFA 15 or whatever. Um, even football manager too, where he was always one of like the top five, top 10, like one of kids or something. Yeah. And we just kind of <laughs> forgot about him for a couple years when he went to Monaco. Right. And I mean, it, like I said, he's shown the flexibility this season because last year he played mostly center mid, um, maybe it's a bit of an eight and, and at times getting forward a bit more, but this year he's played that same position and he's played deeper too. He's played holding mid at times this year and seen it. He's fifth in the league and passes into the final third. He's sixth in touches. He's seventh in pass targets. And on top of all that, he's ninth in the league in drawn fouls. So his influence on the game, that's the step I think he's taken this year compared to last year. And look, I, I he's, underpaid at Leicester right now. I think he's only making something like 35 to 40 K pounds a week. 
Uh, I shouldn't say only. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't say only. Um, yeah. Relative, <laughs> relative, relative to to guys like Vardy and Schmeichel who are, who are making well over a hundred thousand a week. Um, he's still not costing lesser very much, and he feels like the next guy. Uh, I mean, James Madison's been great too, um, but he feels like the next guy who they'll have to do very well to keep him i think in the summer because he needs to get the bag basically yeah that's yeah that's he needs to get the bag yeah absolutely but i this is the last thing i'll point out on lesser is that through all the quality and talent that they have it's fair to say that they have just been so inconsistent this season when i think yeah last year they may not have had as much of an issue with it it's just that it's hard for me to see them consistently remaining a top four side, especially when the points tally is so close, because I think what will likely happen is that they were teeter, they're going to teeter between third, fourth, seventh, third, fourth, sixth, something like that's going to happen towards the end of the season. And I think probably the last day of the season will probably determine where they end up in the table. And I think that's, that's probably the only thing that I would point out. That's like a caveat for, for Lester, but yes, um, still very impressed with them and the way that they play. Brendan Rodgers has really been slept on as a coach. That's that's the only other thing that I would point out is that you, we talk about like the FIFA, you know, Men's Player Award, Coach Award. Like I feel like Brendan Rodgers should be in this conversation more often than not. Um, it's just Absolutely. something something to point out. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and I, I think you're you're right. They'll probably be just in and around that top four space for the entire season. I mean, the, last year it came down to the, the last day. They needed to beat United to make it into the Champions League, and, and they didn't. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think what's different about this season is, while I feel like last year they just genuinely didn't have enough squad talent to uh, to overcome the likes of like United and Chelsea, who were fighting for that third and fourth place position with them. Um I think this season just it doesn't feel like doesn't feel like uh regression to the mean is gonna happen as ferociously as it has in past years. So um I I really have to give them credit for that the draw they got against United over this over this Christmas period too. They were down twice in that game and came back and, and um and were able to get a two two draw. Really Honestly, a good point for both teams at that at that junction, and probably a good segue into Manchester United's last couple of weeks. Yeah, let's let's talk about them for a second. So, I believe it's four out of their last five games United have won. Right, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's statistically correct. Um, I just want to point out that when Rian and I were talking about Manchester City earlier, the reason why we believe that they're the best set-up team to challenge Liverpool for the title is because that they are probably one of the more consistent sides with the top talent in England. If you look at Manchester United, they have some talent, they have some consistency, and they have, I would still argue, a poor coach. Here's why I say, first, let's start with poor coaching. During their game against Wolves, 
Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made one change that was crucial in that game. And I'm not I'm actually not talking substitution. I'm talking about tactical change. In that game, he put Marcus Rashford, or at least someone put Marcus Rashford, in between the center halves. Or sorry, shifted him from in between the center halves um, in towards the left-handed channel, in between the Wolves flank and their center halves. What that did is it allowed for two things to happen. It allowed for Marcus Rashford to get enough space for a cross-off instead of being constantly man-marked. Two, it allowed for bodies to basically crash into the box. How did Manchester United get their goal from exactly that? Now, it took Ole Gunnar Solskjaer 80-something minutes to realize (laughs) that that was actually what they needed to do. If you are a manager of a title-contending team, you do not make tactical changes like that that late on. You cannot tell me that Pep, Jurgen Klopp, Pochettino when he was here, I'll even give it to Mourinho, would make those type of decisions so late on in recognizing it in such an important game. So, meh coaching, again, some talent and some consistency is not going to win you a league title. I'm sorry, Manchester United fans. It's just not going to do it. You don't have the manager to do it. You don't have the squad depth to do it. Bruno Fernandes is not going to constantly pull you into games, although you've been gifted, I think, overall way more expected penalties than statistically probable. Um, (laughs) That's not going to win you a league title. I rest my case, by the way. (laughs) Uh, I... Yeah, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push back on you on the on the coaching part of it. I, I think always probably somewhere in between, below average and and like a five point nine out of ten. (laughs) That is that is I think arguably the most average decimal oriented score you could give someone. Yes. Like he's he's somewhere there. Uh, But it just feels like a lot of games that the pure as I said before, attrition of talent that is in the attacking part of Manchester United, um, it just seems to kind of overwhelm teams. And I think it might have something to do with how disjointed this season is and the kind of lack of cohesion that we see in almost every team. And there were a lot of bad games during these last two weeks which i think i'll touch on at the end but the quality for team play right now is not very high and it leaves gaps for teams like united who can like we saw against aston villa didn't play extremely well um they did actually very they actually did play well i think in the first half um to get the first goal and in the second half villa were were pretty damn good for I mean, Villa were pretty good in the first half, too, I think. But but Villa got the goal they deserved, right? And United ends up getting the second goal because Pogba goes on a little dribble. And, look, a 50-50. I, I'm not going to say... I don't... I think that was a... 
a 50-50 call on the penalty where it's like, if it's called, then I'm okay with VAR not changing it because whatever, it's too close. If it wasn't called, it would have been fine too. Um, but yeah, they, they just find a way. And those same like coalitions that I was talking about with Chelsea that were seemingly missing and I can't really see in Chelsea, they're much more apparent, I think, in Manchester United. I have to give the credit there. And that's not necessarily the coach's credit so so much as I think that the, the players are just that talented. Um, when you look at Bruno and Martial, Martial, who has not scored much this season, fair enough. But I still think his link-up play is so good. And I think at times he's so unplayable in terms of his hold-up and being able to dribble past one or two guys and lay it off for someone, right? I, I think those guys, and occasionally Paul Pogba, when he's when he's feeling it, really is it's really where we are with him when, at United. When he has the vibes, when yeah. he's yeah, when he's vibing, when he's got the new haircut, <laughs> he's usually pretty good the first couple of games after a new haircut. Um, <laughs> but those guys are linking the attack, and as much as we kind of clowned Fred for not being real Brazilian last year, um, he's still not really. <laughs> That's still, he's still, still not. not. He's yeah, still don't... not. He's still not with the ball. That's for sure. Like when he has possession of the ball, he's definitely not Brazilian. But um, but he's at least doing well at breaking up the opponents, the opponents, um, link up play and 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 counterattacks for the most part. And again, occasionally there, Pogba sometimes and and Matic when he isn't um being beaten by athleticism. <laughs> I, <laughs> by the way, title of the podcast is Fred is still not Brazilian. I'm just throwing that yeah. out there. <laughs> But but honestly, I mean, Bruno, for for as much as the the penalty stuff is hilarious at times because it, you know it seems like that is half of his goals. He's raised his game this season, almost a thirty percent increase in in uh, shot creating actions per ninety compared to last year, and it's averaging just under one goal creating action per game. Like so he's he is. Doing everything to keep this team um, at the levels that they're at. And with all of that, he's third in shot creating actions, fifth in goal creating actions per game, fourth in passes into the penalty area, third in progressive passes. All of that. He's been everything that they could have hoped for when they signed him, really. And uh, he's playing at a level that I think when they got him, we both thought that he would be a really good player because the numbers that he put up in Portugal were like, were better than this. He was putting up something like one and a half goals and assists per game. And, and, and like you do that in any, Sunday. at least, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you do that in the Sunday league, it might not translate, but <laughs> you think, <laughs> but you do that at any, like, high level league in Europe, which Portugal, it's not one of the five, the big five, but it's probably someone that's six or seven. You do that in any of those leagues, it probably means you're a pretty damn good player. So um so yeah, I think that uh for the reasons of of not just Bruno, but like that kind of talent glut 
that United has and um, this kind of little renaissance we've seen of Eric Bailly in the last uh, couple of weeks, you got to give got to give them a non-zero percent chance at winning the league. I still think no way. Don't even go near it with your money. But I I just think this is this so is, weird. Okay. There's yeah. It might be a two percent chance, is what I'm saying. It is. But it but is. <laughs> I mean, it is. That's that's basically what it is. It's the same thing like saying Chelsea, in your opinion, have a two percent chance of winning the league too. But it's the same yeah. same concept. But <laughs> sure, don't put your money on it, and it's a two percent chance. But it's not, and it's just not enough. Bruno Fernandez, I will admit, he he has convinced me that he is capable of dragging this United team forward, not to a league title, but potentially to a top four finish. I did not think they would finish top four. Maybe that's in the cards. Um, I don't think we're going to find out until the very last day of the season, though, how the majority of the top six ends up. I really don't. Um, but yeah, no, that's fair. I, I think that's a fair assessment. I'll, get, I'll concede that there's a 2% <laughs> chance. I will 100% give you that. How about that? I think, yeah, that's that's as... About as far as I'm ready to go right now, too. So <laughs> fair enough. Um, fair enough. Well, why don't we why don't we move over to the other rival of Manchester United in Liverpool? Um, of course, we did preview the Liverpool Spurs game with our old coach, mentor, and advisor, Mr. Zlaski. Um Yeah, that game very much went the exact same way that he predicted, which is a little scary, almost how how good it was. He predicted <laughs> he got the a goal scores, win right. With, Mo Salah and Firmino getting on the board. Yeah, that that was that was something else. I also went with a 2-1 win, but I did not pick out the goal scorers because I don't have that kind of confidence <laughs> to do that. Um, it, okay, Liverpool are in first in the Premier League right now. I don't know if first means as much, especially as we're recording this now after their loss against Southampton. Um, where... What do Liverpool need to do to win the league again? I, this is this is a loaded question, but I think the one thing... A shaman. <laughs> a shaman would be a great place to start. <laughs> I was, I was maybe move the, the new back. training ground. Maybe move <laughs> the new training ground from the Indian burial site that it's at right now. I don't... I'm... <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Jeez, <laughs> that was not the answer I was expecting, but I don't necessarily disagree now that you said it. I mean, they got listen. They got Thiago back. That was a major, major boost that we really thought would change things. And then, of course, Jurgen Klopp went out today and started no center backs and just pure passing vibes. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know if he had much of a choice either. But again, yeah, wh- where are Liverpool? Like, how do Liverpool recreate what they did last season? Because I don't think that they have, I don't think that they have the players to do that just yet. I mean, I said this months ago, like, and Mr. Zelaski agreed with us here that their squad depth is seriously lacking. And in a season where you're playing basically every three games or three days, right. For the rest of the season, that's pretty much needed. Yeah. And look, Liverpool have six players right now who are injured and not available to play for at least the next two weeks. Diogo Jota, Joel Matip, Nabi Keita, Joe Gomez, Virgil van Dijk, even their backup left back, 
um, Simikas, who's a guy they got over the summer to be able to allow Andrew Robertson to take games off, injured. They need reinforcements, really. I mean, like you said, today they got Tiago back starting for the first time in a long while, for the first time since... Ooh, well, well, actually, I don't even know when the last time that he started a game, honestly. Um, I know. The, I think the last appearance was against, was possibly, or before he came back, I think, for the game against uh, West Brom. Um, I think his last game before that was against Chelsea, which was in October. So um, they got him back. The day they get him back in the starting lineup is also the day where their two normal starting center mids have to play center back because there is no one left to play other than these academy grads who, who have not looked very good, honestly. Just just the just how it's been. They haven't looked very good when they've played. Um, Curtis Jones but, says what? No, well, he hasn't had to play center back yet. So yeah, yet. It's only yeah. a matter of time now. Everyone gets a trial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... They need reinforcements. I just think it's as simple as that. They need to get a center back in um, because it's it's past like anything tactical, really. And the guys look tired. It, he, there's no, they're not able to change their front three because their only other options there are like you said with the with the squad depth not being the best. You know, Shakiri, who came on today and was. You know, just not, just not, not the same I'm level. Honestly, not gonna lie, I forgot he existed until you. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I, I kid you not, I forgot he was in the squad. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, Shakiri and then uh, Divakariji. Every time he comes in, it's just not. He's not Roberto Firmino. He doesn't play the same way, and he's not a prolific striker in the normal sense. Anyway, so um, they don't. Yeah, they don't have the the depth like you said right now to be able to overcome all of these injuries that they've had to deal with throughout the season and um and i think it's as simple as that honestly um yeah i don't i'm no worries in terms of like how they're playing or or stuff like that it's just i think their guys are very tired they played a lot of I, I, we'll have to actually calculate this at some point but the amount of games that liverpool and and manchester city have played in all competitions over the last three years. Insane. It, it's, yeah, it's insane. insane. It's insane. And also, and, and... I, I don't know where uh, sorry, not Spurs, City are going to find the time to play Everton in this schedule. Like, yes, they have two games in hand, but I don't know where you go and find the time in those schedule. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Throw that on top of the fact that, like, those two teams have played probably over – a hundred games in the last two and a half seasons. <laughs> it's like it's 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 not it's not um it's not sustainable in the conditions that we're in right now. And no wonder and when the powers of B want to make a ton of cash off of this. <laughs> no wonder. Uh yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. But anyway, um, why don't we move on to Spurs, Rian? Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is this team in fourth? That's that's my uh, honest. Like I, I, I'm not even bullshitting. I, I'm genuinely confused how this team continues to pull out wins out of their ass. I mean, 
I don't even know if Spurs need to make any personnel changes. Like, there usually are sides where I can say, all right, you need to make a change here. I think this could be improved here. Um, based on the game plan they're sticking to, they're executing it basically to the best of their ability. Um, yeah. If, I, thoughts? I mean, you, you and I both kind of agree that if Hungman's son or Harry Kane get injured, yeah, everything's screwed, but that mm-hmm. hasn't happened yet. No, it hasn't. And Look, they got they got a three 0 win this past weekend, which was just after drawing their last couple games before that um, against uh, Crystal Palace and um, gosh, the other one's blanking me. Right? Wolves, right? Um, those games, as well as their win this weekend, all kind of felt very familiar to um, to any basically any Jose Mourinho team that doesn't have the midfield player to unlock uh, defenses, right? And I don't think that Spurs at the moment have that type of player. Like in Dombele, to, to be fair, they haven't had that player since 2013 in Luka Modric. They haven't had that player since Ericsson left, I felt, I honestly, which is... Well, Ericsson played. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> since, <laughs> so yeah, they haven't had that player since Ericsson's form in like, 20, in like three years ago, three or four years ago. Right. Um, but the reason why it's so much more important to, in my opinion, why it's so much more important to Spurs and Jose Mourinho team is because as great as Ndombele is at actually progressing the ball up the field by dribbling, he's not a guy to rely on for assists. He's just, it's not his game. It's, nothing wrong with that it's just it's not his game and he would fit beautifully with a more traditional supplier play in center mid playing with him right and and he would be unlocked in some senses honestly i feel like but i really feel like they are one in the same way that chelsea's under Mourinho in 2013 to 2014 the difference in that team that went from third place to a title winning team was Diego Costa being one of them have but you know Spurs have their own guy in that in Harry Kane but really the difference was Cesc Fabregas coming into that team and if you want to go back even further at Inter Milan Wesley Snyder won the Ballon d'Or the same season that they won the treble under Jose Mourinho and he was the best player in Europe that year and the reason why those guys are so important is because who's going to help you break down the deep blocks when teams realize that you are just not as effective when you don't play on the counter, right? And they're missing that player. And it, so I, I tweeted, if they were serious, if Daniel Levy wasn't just about, okay, I just let me get a great manager and the team's just good enough to always be in and around the top four. And, you know, I've got, like, two NFL games coming to my stadium every year, so they've got to pay for that. And the stadium's bigger, so that's more money there. If he's serious about actually turning Tottenham into title contenders, they will go get Jack Grealish or anyone of that ilk. doesn't have to be him. But a actual yep. consistent supplier, someone who's looking to supply goal scoring chances which I just yeah. don't think there is in that team right now. 
um, as much as we kind of turned Harry Kane into a nine and a half, honestly. Yeah, um, no, <laughs> I, I, yeah. everything you're saying is 100% spot on. Um, they haven't had that player or player profile basically playing consistently since Erickson, you know, was last in form, which is about three years ago. Um, then again, they did miraculously make it, you know, I guess through that period, right, without him <laughs> yeah. in, in a weird way. Um, so we could be entirely off, but with a Mourinho team, I really don't think we are in this case. <laughs> I think I we've, yeah, well, I, I was going to say, we've seen a lot of, him in, yeah. in different leagues, right? <laughs> we, we know what Mourinho's about. I yeah. will push back, though, and say I don't know if Jack Grealish is the answer to all of their problems um, because Jack Grealish for Villa, from what I've seen, has thrived when he controls the passage of play, and yeah. he would absolutely not that get that opportunity at Spurs. That's just not the way that Mourinho would want to play, and Let's take Mourinho at Real Madrid with Ozil, for example. Ozil was given free reign almost to control the passage of play in his peak years. But he was also surrounded by arguably one of the best front threes and midfield trio that he could have been surrounded with. Jack Grealish, while he would be surrounded by two top-class strikers, wouldn't really have any offensive support outside of that defensively yes he would absolutely be covered but yeah it's oh you're right you're right you need more than that you need more than that yeah you're right there's no um there's no marcello and (laughs) (laughs) like like, as as much as i think i would i don't know how much you like sergio regalana but i like him i I think he's a very good player um but yeah, he's not Marcelo. <laughs> no, it's it's different calibers, um, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The uh yeah, the, the players were a big part of it. that's why I didn't want to quite say Ozil. I think Oz I I didn't want to say quite <laughs> say that Ozil was the missing link in that Real Madrid team. But uh even though he was at the time at his best, the best number ten in the world. Not not yeah. even close. Yeah. But um um yeah, I, I, I think like you said, I think this Tottenham team as currently constructed and the way, playing the way they play should finish in the top four. Um, but interesting. But you know, there's there's a lot of competition. So it, it's it's ah, too early. Walking back, walking back. No, yeah, no. I mean, I I, <laughs> I I threw them in in our in our uh, midseason thing, and then I kind of regret it because I feel like it, maybe maybe the team I should throw take out of it should be Chelsea and put in United for now. But anyway. Oh. Stop it! Stop it! No, stop no, I digress. It, it. I digress. Um, move on. Elias, really, really, <laughs> really quickly before we we head out today, I just wanted to ask you. We, as we talked about, this season's so weird. Um, it feels so disjointed. The lack of preseason, the condensed schedule. My feelings that legitimately over the fest, the uh, festive fixtures as they call them, in England. I thought the quality of play was maybe fifty percent of what of what we expected to be. Um, players just look tired and look exhausted, and no, and it doesn't look like there's a lot of actual cohesion and fluency and legs, honest, for lack of a better term, <laughs> in a lot of these games. On a more like kind of broader scale, like how how do you feel like we should evaluate this season at the end? 
of the season. We can talk about it again at the end of the season. But for now, how do you feel like we should evaluate what we've been seeing this season? Because it is such a unique situation and is one that is going to benefit other um, some teams more than others for no fault of their own. Yeah. I think that you have to look at the context of honestly all of the top leagues in Europe through the lens of basically your quote-unquote top six teams, your European teams, and then the rest of the league. So you have your top European teams, your teams competing in basically several competitions. They are severely disadvantaged when it comes to rest, when it comes to injuries, etc. That is very, very clear. Now, the counter-argument to that is, of course, they have more money to buy you know, more squad depth and higher quality squad depth, etc., so they can replace that as easily. But what I think you've seen this season is that it's not that easy to do in reality. Like, you can't, you can't just say, I'm swapping Mo Salah for Diego Jota, or excuse me, Firmino for Diego Jota, because, well, now, you see right now, if one of those two players get injured, which is likely in any of the teams that are competing in Europe, all of a sudden you're down to one string and a youth player maybe. So that's the position that I think some of the top clubs throughout Europe are are in right now. That's the difficult part. So I think you have to evaluate their seasons almost separately from the rest of their respective leagues, almost solely due to game time. The rest of the, the teams in those leagues, I think, should be evaluated relatively similarly, just based again on number of games and also probably a general I would say kind of sphere of significant not significance but like monetary spend right like you're <laughs> I hate to use this term but like quote-unquote size of the club basically right just I think that's probably the most fair reasonable I guess picture you could paint of how you evaluate any of these teams so it's difficult because I think we're going to get to the end of the season and you're going to have a conversation say, well, all of these things happened. None of these players could play properly. Does this even really, is this really significant? And I think it still is because everyone was on the same playing field, but I think you probably have to segment two groups. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I would almost even maybe cut it into one other group, like you think, like we said about Liverpool and Manchester City, two teams that press a lot and have pressed a lot in yeah. the past. That has to be in a season like this. I feel like it has to be catching up to them in some sense, and it's kind of the reason why, if, especially the last couple of weeks with Liverpool, has looked so weird and and not yeah. really felt like quite the same team and how Manchester City was at the beginning of the season um, after they had played in the quarterfinal of the Champions League, like three weeks prior to starting their season, pretty much, um, really had it really had a damper on their first five or six games, which in the end of the season could really, really cost them a title. Right? So yeah, I look guys are gonna lose their jobs at the end of the season no matter what. <laughs> um but it it's just feels really difficult to judge this season if ever there was a time for an asterisk asterisk season it, it, it's this one really and it's not going to be any sort of shade towards a team that ends up winning it the teams that end up 
having a, a great record at the end of the year. It's just um, it's it's just feels really hard to evaluate a lot of the performances, especially this season. Oh. Yeah, it's. I mean, honestly, there's a part of me that thinks that there's no right answer to that question. I'm not gonna lie. Like, and anyone's answer to that is probably pretty valid. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that, and I think that we probably can have a more accurate conversation towards the end of the season, but for now, I think that no one is going to be evaluated the same as they did last year, clearly, and they may not even be evaluated the same from the first half of the season to the second half. So, anyway, I think, Rian, with that, that wraps up everything we wanted to get to for uh, for this episode. We'll, uh, we'll be back soon with the La Liga portion, and finally... Finally, we get to watch Premier League football again and commentate on it after a little break. So, happy New Year to everyone that that listens slash is listening. Happy 2021, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Happy New Year, guys! Thanks.